All right, well, let's go ahead and get into the word together. Uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15 as we continue our series in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 15, uh, I'm going to actually read a a pretty decent chunk of text here. We're going to go from chapter 15, verse 18, all the way through chapter 16, verse 15. And so uh, I encourage you to follow along if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, The words will be on the screen behind me. And I have been encouraging us the last few weeks to develop the, the discipline and the habit of bringing a physical Bible with you to church. And uh, first service, we actually, the technology wasn't working. And we didn't have the, the slides on the screen behind me. And so those who had their Bibles were in good shape. They probably thought I set that up because I've been talking about doing that. But it wasn't intentional. But uh, we are grateful to have the technology back. But let's look at the word together in chapter 15, starting verse 18. Jesus said, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sinned. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I've told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak not on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Let's pray. Jesus, as we consider these words, a a somber warning that when you go away, persecution will come. A 
somber warning that we cannot follow you and follow the world at the same time. Jesus, we know how important it was for you to warn those those disciples in the first century of these realities knowing what would come. We look back over history and see how, how meaningful this warning was that they be prepared for persecution. In the same way, Jesus, we don't know what lies ahead for us. And so we take your words and we ask that you help us to take them to heart today, to prepare ourselves to make, to make sense of the resistance that we already face, but even to prepare ourselves, perhaps, for greater resistance from the world. Teach us not to love this world. Teach us to love you. And Father, I pray that, that you would send the Spirit to enable us to be your witnesses, as is declared here in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I want to make a couple of points from this passage, but I want to start with asking, I want to, I want to ask you just to think about yourself, your own life for a moment. Have, has anyone ever hated you because of Jesus? Have you ever been in a position where someone hated you or opposed you? And, 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 and by the way, I think, I think there are a couple of things that Jesus is going to say in this passage that, that could border on the line of hyperbole. They could be, it's not the best word to use, but they could be exaggerated. Sometimes hatred doesn't look like hatred. It just looks like rejection or opposition. But, but let's take seriously the words that Jesus chose here. He refers to the response that the world will have to us as followers of Jesus as hatred. And indeed, that's what it is at its core. So has anyone ever hated you? I think back I think back to when I first became a Christian as a teenager, you know, so a lot of my friends, I don't know if I'd say anybody. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't say they didn't hate me. <laughs> um, but that might have just been because I was an idiot. It might not have had anything to do with Jesus. But I can certainly think of times when people rejected me because of this new allegiance to Jesus. And as I think about as I think about the direction of our culture is going, we as Christians ought to find ourselves more and more at odds with the world that we live in. Our convictions should not mirror their convictions. And as this this world very decisively goes further away from the things of God, the truth of God, further away from the gospel further away from the truth of the word of God, then our convictions should not follow, but yet that means that gap will increase. So perhaps this is a timely passage for us today, entering into 2022. Have you ever been hated for Jesus? If not, why not? If Jesus says the world will hate his followers, why don't they hate you? Is it because your convictions look a lot more like their convictions than our Lord's? Or is it because your is it because your convictions align with the Lord's but your works, your deeds, the th- the way you live your life isn't all that different 
than the world, or because you've, you've hidden your convictions. And certainly I'm not going to advocate today for going out and starting arguments. There's enough of that going on. I think there, are, there is a time to argue and there is a time to avoid arguing. Uh, that takes discernment. But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not advocating that we go out and start fights. I am advocating a little bit of self-reflection for us to sit here and think, well, is there anything that I believe that the world wouldn't agree with, that the world would hate me for? Okay, so let's get to the handout. Let's, I'll give you some things that, that I've been chewing on as, as I've looked at this passage that I want us to think about together. The first one is this, that following Jesus puts us at odds with the world that is in rebellion against him. When I say the world, and when, when I, think, I think what Jesus means, uh, when, he, when he speaks of if the world hates you, He's talking not about a physical or geographic reality. He's he's talking about the collective attitude of the people of earth and how they respond to their creator, how they respond to the message of the gospel. That's that attitude, that mindset, that mentality, that way of thinking and that way of doing is what is in mind here. Following Jesus puts us at odds with the world. And, and, and that mindset, by the way, it's not that it's not people. It's most certainly people because that mindset is, is represented and carried out by people. Following Jesus puts us at odd with, odds with the world because that world is in rebellion against him. God and his creation are not in a harmonious relationship at this time, specifically humankind I'm speaking of. God and mankind are not in a harmonious relationship. Mankind is in rebellion against its creator. Mankind is in rebellion against our God. So Jesus says, I want to look at verse 18 through 21. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master? Well, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. When Jesus says, if you were of the world, what he's saying is, if you went along with them, if, you, if, you, if, you, if your convictions align with them, if your thoughts align with them, if your will and your purposes align with the people of the world who are in rebellion against God, they would love you. They would have no reason to hate you. They would accept you as their own. However, Jesus says, you are not of the world, not that you don't proceed from the world, but that he has chosen us out of the world. That's one of the things that Jesus has done in in bringing eternal life to his followers, to those who would believe in him, is he rescues us from that, that worldly system of rebellion against God, and he makes us a new people, 
He makes us his own. He makes us the church, his body, his bride, his, his priests, his followers, his disciples. And because of that, we have, we have new priorities. We have a new mentality. We have new allegiances. We've rejected the direction that the world is going. That's, and, and we've turned to follow Jesus. And so he's... So he warns them. You have to stop and think, why is it important for Jesus to say this to his disciples before it happens? He's going to reveal the reason for that in a minute. But for now, he says, if the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. He, he spoke to that to them after the washing of the feet, and he told them to follow him and to do, to do likewise. He says, if I, your master, do this for you, then you as the servants should do this for each other. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Did they persecute Jesus? What was the response to Jesus as he came into the world? John tells us in the very beginning of his, of his gospel that this was the things that, that was going to happen, that light was coming into the world, but that the world does not want light. The response to Jesus from the very beginning was rejection. I mean, what happened with Jesus' birth? Herod killed thousands of innocent babies in an attempt to kill him to stop his ministry from ever even beginning. If the world hated him, the world's going to hate us. He says, but they will do all these things to you on account of my name. Again, Jesus uses this idea of my name in, in these chapters to speak of all that he is and of all that he represents and of the message of the gospel because they don't know the one who sent me. So we, if we're going to follow Christ, we need to be prepared for this opposition. We need to know ahead of time that we're making a decision to be rejected, that we're making a decision to have haters. Most of us probably don't, <clears throat> don't like that idea. Most of us like to, like to be liked by people. I mean, there are some people that I don't know what's going on with them, but they don't seem to care if people like them or not, right? There's some people that they seem to want people to not like them. Some of you are like. <laughs> but for the most part, we want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We're not trying to be contrary, and we're not trying to go against the flow. We, we, we want to get along with people. And, and part of that, I think, is even... You know, as Christians, we should want to have relationships with people because we should want love to go back and forth in a reciprocal way. But Jesus makes it clear from the beginning. You sign up to follow me, you're signing up to be hated. You don't fit in anymore. You're aliens. You're strangers in this world. You don't belong here. You're not going to think like they think. You're not going to act like they act. You're not going to speak like they speak. You're going to be different. And that, that difference is going to create friction and tension and resistance and opposition. They will even hate you. But just know they hated me first. 
Next thing on the handout, though, that we learn about this hatred of Jesus and, and the subsequent hatred of his followers is this, that hating Jesus is the ultimate sin against God. To hate Jesus is to commit the ultimate sin against God. I'll show you this. In verse 22, in verse 22, Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sinned. Now they have seen, have seen and hated both me and my father. But this has happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. This is why I said earlier, there might be some things in here that are uh, uh, sort of hyperbolic. They're, they're ex- somewhat exaggerated to make an important point. And Jesus uses that kind of language here. He says, he says, had I not come and had they not rejected me, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. Well, they were guilty of sin before Jesus came. What Jesus is saying here is the sin that they are now guilty of makes all other sins pale in comparison to the sin that they are guilty of now. In rejecting Jesus, in hating Jesus, they have committed the ultimate sin against God and they have brought down guilt upon themselves that is unparalleled by the guilt that comes with any other sin. Hating Jesus is the ultimate sin against God. They have rejected both his words and his works. This is the language that Jesus uses repeatedly here. He speaks of his words. He says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Then he says in verse 24, if I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. What is it that, that has brought that has made them guilty of sin? They have rejected his words and they have rejected his works. And according to Jesus, that is hatred against him. He tells a parable in, in Matthew 21. You can turn there if you like. We're going to read a few verses from Matthew 21, or you can stay where you're at. But it may be at least write down the reference because I think it's worth going back to if you choose to study this passage later in the week, Matthew 21, verse 33 through 44. Jesus tells this parable, and you have to understand, he's telling this to the Jewish people who historically have been entrusted to, to be the ones who sort of take care of God's business on earth. They are his people. They are his kingdom. They are his representatives. They are his servants And he's saying this to the people of Israel. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He leased it to tenant farmers and went away. When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, 
what will he do to those farmers? Jesus asked them this question. He will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him, and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his fruit at the harvest. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter them. So Jesus tells them this story about something that they would have seen a hundred times. Some, uh, a, a wealthy landowner who's built a vineyard, he put everything in place, he put the gate around it, the watchtower, whatever you needed to have, uh, have a nice vineyard. And then being a wealthy man, he hired farmers to do the work while he went away. But then, you know, and, and there would have been some agreement uh, between the, 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 the one who owns the vineyard and the workers as to, hey, this is how much I expect to receive in terms of harvest, and then you get to keep this much. And, you know, the, this is something they would have seen. They would have walked past such vineyards. They would have known hired farmers. This, is, this would have been very um, real in their world. And he says, this guy, though, he sends, he sends some servants to collect his part of the harvest, and what do the farmers do? They beat the servants. They kill one of them. They stone another one. So the, the manager, confused, sends more. Well, let's send more servants this time, and they do the same thing over again. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. Surely they won't harm my son. They'll respect my son. And they see the son and they say, look, the heir, let's kill him. Take his inheritance. And he gets the Jewish people to answer the, the question, what should he do to them? They fall right into his trap. What should, what should, this, what should this owner of the vineyard do? Well, they should, he should completely destroy these terrible men and give his vineyard to someone else to farm, to, to bring about fruit at the harvest. And Jesus says, so it is, because for thousands of years, the father had been sending his servants. He had been sending the prophets. He had been sending the judges. He had been sending them kings, and they kept rejecting him. They even beat and killed some of those servants. And now he has sent his son, and they've done the same thing. They've treated him with the same hatred in the same disrespect. And so Jesus says to the Jews, the vineyard has been taken, is, is being taken from you and it will be given to someone who will produce its fruit just as you had said it should be done. And we see this transition take place in, actually take place in the New Testament as the gospel goes from first a, a harvest of Jewish believers who will believe in the gospel but transitions to the Gentiles and so it is today. It's the Gentiles. It's the non-Jewish people who are, who are working the vineyard, who are bringing about the harvest, who are bringing about fruit. Hating Jesus is the ultimate sin against God. That's why he, Jesus says to them, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Then he says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. He's talking about two different responses to himself, 
two different responses to Jesus and to the gospel. One, for one response is that it breaks you in a good way, and the other response, response is it breaks you in a terrible, destructive way. I love that he says to them, have you never read the scriptures? To, that would be like going up to a, an evangelical Christian pastor today who's obviously read the scriptures, whose job is to read and to deliver the scriptures to people and saying, have you never even read the Bible? <laughs> this was offensive to them. They were people of the word. They studied the word. And he says, but you're missing it. You're missing the point. They've committed the ultimate sin. Let's keep moving. A couple more things to get through on the handout. The next one is this. Jesus' response is to send the Spirit to be in us. So what is Jesus' response? In, in light of what is going to happen, in light of this reality that he's leaving, that the disciples are going to be hated, Jesus loving his disciples, and, and, and Jesus wanting to ensure that the mission gets completed. Because this is what, Jesus is passing the baton He's handing off the baton in, in these chapters. He's saying, I'm getting ready to go away. I'm turning over to you the responsibility for, for building the kingdom of God here on earth, but I'm going to equip you with the right tools to do it. And his response is to send the Spirit to be in us. He sends the Spirit to be in us. What is it that Christians need to survive to thrive, to be effective in a world that hates them, this is the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit to live and to dwell within us. That's what we need, and that's what Jesus gives. It says in verse 26, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. When I think back over the different seasons of my life as a Christian and the opportunities that I've had during those, those different seasons of my life, I think, you know, one, one of the greatest missed opportunities that I that sometimes reflect back on is I became a Christian while I was in high school. And I lived uh, as a Christian my last two years of high school. And I think back to, you know, I went to, I went to Catanian High School. Don't throw anything up here. I'm just, just getting that out there. I wanted to confess that to you guys. That's where I went. I went to Catanian. But um, probably on any given day, five to 600 students in the building that, that I went to school at. And, um, you know, as a Christian, I look back and I think I, I, I see a lot of Missed opportunities. You know, for many of us, high school and college are the years where we'll be around the most people on a consistent basis for the rest of our lives. Most of us don't go to work every day, don't go to wherever we go Monday through Friday and, and are surrounded by five or six or or hundred or even more, depending on where you went to school, and certainly where you went to college was probably more than that. Most of us don't have that opportunity after we graduate school, do we? One of the greatest mission fields that we ever have access to in our lives on a regular basis, daily, 180 days a year, is, is our high school and college years. 
And so I want to encourage you young people. Now, I don't, I'm not, when I look back on the opportunities I missed, I don't, there were opportunities I took as well. There were a lot of opportunities that I took that I thank God for. Uh, and the ones that I miss, I don't beat myself up. I'm not asking you to beat yourself up. I was a young, growing Christian. If you're that age, you're hopefully a young, growing Christian as well. But, but I do want to encourage you because, man, this is a great opportunity to be a light for the gospel. It's a great season of your life to be a witness. And what usually stops teenagers from embracing that kind of lifestyle? It's that we don't want to be hated. There's probably not a high school in existence that's going to embrace somebody who's living their life radically for Jesus. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create opposition. But here's the thing about being a teenager. People are going to hate you for one reason or another. It's just a reality that you're, you're going to have. It's, look, it's going to stink no matter what. <laughs> Why not let it stink for, for being a witness for Jesus? But it doesn't stop once we get out of school because we go on and we work jobs. And on some level, we still are around people and have influence over a group of people day in and day out. For some of us, we're, you know, we're working remotely and maybe that's only a handful of people that you're talking to uh, through email or through Zoom or whatever. For some of us, we go to places where we might work with dozens or hundreds of people around us every day. It doesn't matter the number. What matters is are we being faithful in those situations to represent Jesus, to represent him as his people. He has given us his spirit. He has given us what we need. Therefore, and this is the next thing on the handout, therefore, followers of Jesus should not be surprised and must not stumble on account of the world's hatred. You shouldn't be surprised. Jesus told us the world would hate us. Jesus sent us his spirit to empower us to be his witnesses in spite of their hatred. He said, the Spirit will testify about me. You also will testify. So we shouldn't be surprised and we must not stumble on account of the world's hatred. Why does Jesus tell us these things? Bless you, Reagan. Why does Jesus tell us these things? He says in, in 16 verse 1, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Why is Jesus saying all of this? Because he knows it's going to be an opportunity to stumble. It's going to be an opportunity to say, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know that following Jesus was going to get me hated and start backpedaling and start considering, is this really what I want to do? We shouldn't be surprised and we must not stumble. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Verse 2, they will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me, but I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. 
So he was there, <clears throat> he was there to help them navigate through the different persecutions and the different rejections and hatreds that they did face all throughout Jesus's ministry. But now that he's going away, he, he's, he's preparing them. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them, to stand in the face of this opposition, to not backtrack, to not stumble, to not give up on our faith, to not be surprised, but instead to stand, to stand in the face of hatred. Told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Maybe, just maybe, some of us here have had this experience of stumbling because we encountered some resistance, some opposition, some hatred. And, and maybe what that looks like in your life is there was a time when you were like really bold about your convictions and bold about your love for Christ and your desire to see people come to him and you weren't afraid to speak up and you weren't afraid to do things that demonstrated the gospel. Your words and your works were working to, to demonstrate the gospel in this world. But then, because people didn't like that, because people were, were, were bothered by that, you began to kind of back down. Most of us probably have done that at some point in our lives. What I want to do today is exhort you. I want to encourage you. That's not the right response. Don't be surprised. That was always what we should have expected. And don't, don't cause the, that cause you to stumble. There are people, there, and there have been from, from the very beginning of the church and still are today, people who are literally being killed for preaching the gospel. They're literally being killed for being a part of a church and being a believer in Christ. And so when we, when we experience a little bit of resistance, and, and I don't mean to make light of that resistance because sometimes it, it comes in forms that are really hard and really difficult. Somebody close to you, somebody in your own family, Maybe somebody, somebody uh, uh, that you're even in a romantic relationship, whether that's a spouse or somebody that you're dating, begins to get uncomfortable. They sort of bristle at your faith. They bristle at your convictions. And so you're, the temptation is to say, well, I'm just going to reel that back in a little bit so that I don't have the uncomfortableness that I'm experiencing here. It's hard when somebody that you love, that you really want to love you back, is opposing what God is doing in your life and what God is doing through you. That's not easy. So I'm not making light of that. I'm not saying unless you're, somebody's threatening to kill you, it's no big deal, because it is a big deal. Nevertheless, Jesus sends his spirit to be in us so that we'd not be surprised and so that we'll not stumble, but that we'll go forward that will continue to follow him knowing that this is the way it's been from the very beginning. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. The last thing that you see on the handout, that's preacher talk for, I'm gonna make you think we're almost done, but then surprise you with how long I can talk about this last point. The, this, the last thing on the handout is this. The Spirit's work will not be stopped 
What's the good news in all of this? Because it sounds like bad news. Hey, sign up to follow Jesus. Give, give your life to following Jesus so that everybody around you can hate you and your life will be miserable. That's not, that's not what we're saying. And that's not the way this passage goes. What, what we do learn is that if we do such things, if we, if we receive the Spirit to come and to dwell in us and we march on as followers of Jesus, not being surprised by the hatred of the world and not stumbling over the opposition that we're facing, that the Spirit's work will be completed. The Spirit's work will not be stopped He will bring conviction and he will glorify Jesus by speaking the truth. And he'll do it through you. And he'll do it through us. In the end, the church wins. In the end, the gospel is advancing. I mentioned earlier about the church plants uh, that that we're supporting, our brothers that, that have stepped out into a world that hates Jesus and is hating Jesus more and more by the day and said, hey, Jesus' people are here. (laughs) We want to be in your community. We want you to come and be a part of us. And you wouldn't think that would go real well today. But the good news is, is that the Spirit is working and people are coming to the light of the gospel And people are growing in their faith because the Spirit's work will not be stopped. He'll bring this conviction and he'll glorify Jesus. This is in verse 5 of chapter 16. But now I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asks, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. This was an interesting, that's an interesting two verses. I think what Jesus is saying is, I told you guys I'm going away, and all of the questions that you have about that have to do with you. Why is nobody worried about me? <laughs> and, and then, but then he says, nevertheless, even though you don't care about me, all of your grief seems to have to do with yourself. He says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The good news of Jesus going away, why is it, why, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, so I won't go too far into it, but why is it better that Jesus actually left? Why wouldn't it have been better if Jesus stayed? The reason is it's better is because he sent the Spirit to live in us. And to have the Spirit living in you is better than having Jesus living next to you. Now, in eternity, the two will coexist. In eternity, there will be the physical Jesus in his resurrected body and the Spirit of God dwelling within us, and eternity will have both. But if you had to choose one or the other, if you had to choose between having the Spirit of God in you or or Jesus next to you, choose the Spirit of God in you. That's what Jesus is saying. It's better for you that I go away. But what will the Spirit do? He will bring conviction. What does that look like? He'll bring conviction about sin, because they do not believe. And so he'll bring that conviction uh, because of their rejection of Jesus. He'll bring conviction about righteousness 
because Jesus is going to be vindicated by his resurrection and ascension. Essentially, that's, that's what he says in verse 10. He says, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. That what, what I think that means is that the Spirit is going to reveal that Jesus was righteous, that he was right. Remember, they kill him because they judge him to be unrighteous. They kill him because they deem him to be an evildoer. They kill him thinking that they're doing the right thing, thinking that they're serving God. But here's the problem. If you kill somebody because of sin and they don't stay dead and then they float up into heaven, you know you've killed the wrong guy. <laughs> like that was a mistake to kill them. And so he says the spirit will bring conviction about righteousness because Jesus will be vindicated by his resurrection and ascension. And then finally, the spirit will bring conviction of judgment because his death has brought judgment upon the ruler of this world. Not only is Jesus' death propitiation or payment for our sin, his death is judgment upon Satan, who from the very beginning has been leading people in rebellion against their creator. He approached the first man and woman and convinced them to sin against God. And he has been, for billions of people ever since then, he has been convincing us to live out that rebellion against God. And in crucifying the Son of God on the cross, God has actually brought judgment upon, upon Satan, who's described here as the ruler of this world. He's brought judgment upon him by, by, by conquering sin and death and by providing a way for those whom, whom Satan has convinced to rebel against God to now be reconciled back to him. It's beautiful. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to convict people of. Convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. His work won't be stopped. Verse 12 says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. Just pause right there and think about the beauty of that statement. Beauty maybe isn't the right word. Comfort of that statement. So oftentimes, much of our suffering comes back to what we don't know, what God hasn't revealed to us. I take comfort in knowing that if it was best for Jesus to tell the disciples everything right then, he would have done that. But he knew they couldn't bear it right now. He knew that he had to wait until the Spirit came. And sometimes, perhaps, what we don't know that we wish God would reveal, he's actually withholding for our good. And we see that play out here. And then he says in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the father has is mine. This is why I told you, that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. The Spirit is not going to be stopped. The ministry of Jesus that he's handing over, that he, he's, he's passing on to his disciples, the ministry that he's calling them to, he says, I'm leaving, but you guys are going to take over from here. It actually happens. <laughs> It actually works. The Spirit comes, and in spite of the hatred and the opposition of the world, 
in spite of all of the judgment and the persecution that comes from those who are still in rebellion against him, the spirit wins. He won't be stopped, and he's going to do that through us. He's going to bring conviction upon the world. Some of that conviction is actually going to lead people to repentance and salvation and eternal life, and they're going to become one of us. And some of that Some of that conviction will lead to judgment because to hate Jesus is is the ultimate sin against God. I can tell you that some of the people that have at one point in my life, let's say hated me or opposed me or whatever you want to say, because of my faith in Jesus, by God's grace, there have been times when when he worked conviction in those people in such a way that they either came to him for salvation or came back and gave me the opportunity to to witness to them. I remember my best friend in high school. My best, I would say my best friend up until the time I got saved and began living for Jesus uh, and then we just sort of grew apart. There was no major, we just grew apart. It's, I, we were going different directions, and it's hard to stay close friends when you're going different directions. It was, I don't know, a year or two after high school, I remember him, and because and, he was somebody who had rejected. And when I got saved, I was like, man, all my friends are going to want this too. And then I found out none of my friends wanted it. And that was so discouraging. But then I remember a couple of years later, I remember him calling me one day, and he was just crying, sobbing. And that, I mean, he was a tough guy. That was not him. And I'm like, what's going on, man? And he's like, you're so lucky. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? And he's like, you got out. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you got out of all of this. You know, because we were heading down a pretty bad road. And um, so I got to start talking to him. And he asked me to come over and share the gospel with him. And I wish the story ended with I shared the gospel with him and he gave his life to Christ, but so far he hasn't given his life to Christ. But the Spirit still did his work. The Spirit testified through me. And I say that to encourage you. Even some of the people that might hate or oppose you or reject you right now, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. In fact, a lot of times that rejection is because of conviction. They're like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like the way I feel around him or her. And you never know when God is going to bring that back around. And some of those people might end up being our brothers and sisters for all of eternity. So don't shrink back. Don't be surprised. And don't stumble Because the world rejects us. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. That's actually his plan. He has given us the Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can stand up under that pressure and be his witnesses with our words and with our works, with the message that we declare and with the lives that we live. We can be his witness, not perfectly, not the way Jesus did it. We'll stumble, we'll fall, we'll we'll do things we wish we could take back. But let's commit today that we 
that we, having received the Spirit, are going to testify to who he is in this generation that desperately needs Christian witness, that desperately needs people to testify and to witness to who he is. It's up to us to do it. This is our time.